Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you all? Oh, I pray that you're well and that you had a most blessed Christmas. I'm sure many of you had a wonderful Christmas, and uh, many of you, I'm just as sure, had a lot of struggles during Christmas. Uh, some with your own faith, some with the faith of your family or friends, or the lack of faith. It's it's a mixed uh, bag, so to speak, of emotions and, and beliefs during this time. But if you personally believe that God became man, the triune God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, became man, and the third, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, true Messiah, true God, and true man, came as a baby. Um, and, and a helpless baby, and yet at the same time held the world together from the manger because he never ceased being God. It's an amazing story. Um, there's no way to believe it apart from the gift of faith. And so if you don't believe, ask God. Tell him you want to believe. <clears throat> Not as a skeptic, but if it's true, you want to know, because he came to earth to die for the sins that separated us from God, and still do, and rose from the dead to give life to all who will come to him. And if you think it's a a fairy tale or just a religious fiction, um, I dare you to go on your knees if you would dare, and that's why you have them, Um, and say, okay, God, if you're there, would you show me? Would you show me that it's true? I ask you for the gift of faith uh, to do with me what you will, to do with me, make of me what you created me for. That's a very brave prayer, but God would answer such a prayer if it's the sincerity of your heart. If you're sarcastic or just challenging him, um, he will not hear you. But if you're true, well, he might. He might. He's God. I can't predict what he'll do. But if you are sincere, uh, it's a prayer he will not refuse. Today is the third day of Christmas. Yesterday was the feast of the first martyr of the church, a deacon, Stephen, and um, uh, stoned to death by the Jews. He was a Jew stoned to death by the Jews because he came to believe in the true Messiah. Um, Today is the feast of St. John the Evangelist. The, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John and is um, known as the Beloved all through the Gospel of John. His name is never mentioned at all. <clears throat> he is called the Beloved, the one who leaned on Jesus' breast during the Last Supper, and he loves to be called the Beloved, um, and he is the one to whom our Lord entrusted his mother um, after he died on the cross. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. And um, uh, I'm reading now from, um, from the website New Advent. It is no unimportant question why the Lord, when he manifested himself for the third time to the disciples, said to the apostle Peter, follow me. 
And that's the last chapter of the Gospel of John. He said to Peter, follow me. But of the Apostle John, thus I wish him to, thus I wish him to remain until I come. What is that to you? To the discussion or solution of this question, according as the Lord shall grant us ability, we devote the last discourse of this work. When the Lord then had announced beforehand to Peter by what death he was to glorify God, he says unto Peter, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following, who also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that shall betray you? That's what John asked at the Last Supper, because Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And John said, who's that? Peter, therefore, seeing him, says to Jesus, Lord, what of this man? And Jesus says to him, thus do I wish him to remain till I come. What is that to you? So there they are at the end of the gospel. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you follow me. And John was there. And he said, well, what about him? And Jesus says to him, what if I wish him to remain till I come? What's that to you? You follow me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple dies not. Yet Jesus didn't say to him, he dies not, but that do I wish him to remain till I come. What is that to you? You see, the great extent in his, this gospel of such a question, which by its depth must exercise in no ordinary way the mind of the inquirer. For why is it said to Peter, follow me, and not to the others who were likewise present? Surely the disciples followed him also as their master. But if it is to be understood only in reference to his suffering, was Peter the only one that suffered for the truth of Christianity? Was there not present there among those seven another son of Zebedee, the brother of John, who after his ascension is plainly recorded to have been slain by Herod? But someone may say that as James was not crucified, it was properly enough said to Peter, follow me inasmuch as he underwent not only death, but like Christ, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> be it so, if no other explanation can be found that is more satisfactory, why then was it said of John, thus do I wish him to remain till I come? What is that to you? And the words repeated, you, Peter, follow me, as if that other therefore were not to follow, seeing he wished him to remain till he comes. He didn't ask John to follow. He asked Peter to follow. But what about John? It's got nothing to do with you. I said to you, follow me. Don't worry about him. I'm I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) Who can readily believe that anything else was meant that what the brethren who lived at the time believed, namely, that the disciple was not to die, but to abide in this life till Jesus came? But John himself removed such an idea by giving a flat contradiction to the report that the Lord had said so. For why should he add, Jesus says not, he dies not, save to prevent what was false from taking hold of the hearts of men. But let anyone who so lists still refuse his assent and declare that what John asserts is true enough, that the Lord said not that the disciple dies not, and yet that this is the meaning of such words as he is here recorded to have used, 
and further assert that the Apostle John is still living and maintain that he is sleeping rather than lying dead in his tomb in Ephesus? Let him employ as an argument the current report that there the earth is in sensible commotion and presents a kind of heavy appearance, heaving appearance, and assert whether it be steadfastly or obstinately that this is occasioned by his breathing. For we cannot fail to have some who believe, if there is no want of those who affirm that Moses is alive, because it is written that his sepulchre could not be found, and that he appeared with the Lord on the mountain along with Elias, of whom we read that he did not die but was translated. Moses' body, as if his body could not have been hid somewhere in such a way that its position should altogether escape discovery by men and be raised up therefrom by divine power at the time when Elias and he were seen with Christ just as at the time of Christ's passion many bodies of the saints arose. And after his resurrection appeared, according to scripture, too many in the holy city. He appeared to so many and to many in the holy city. They did. But still, as I began to say, if some, would, if some deny the death of Moses, remember in the Old Testament, it was God who buried Moses, and no one knew where he was buried. If some deny the death of Moses, whom Scripture itself in the very passage where we read that his sepulchre could, be, could nowhere be found, explicitly declares to have died, how much more may occasion be taken from these words where the Lord says, Thus do I wish him to stay till I come, to believe that John is sleeping but still alive beneath the ground, of whom we have also the tradition which is found in certain apocryphal scriptures, that he was present in good health when he ordered a sepulcher to be made for him, and that when it was dug and prepared with all possible care, he laid himself down there as in a bed and became immediately defunct. Yet as those think who think who understand these words of the Lord, not really defunct, but only lying like one in such a condition, and while accounted dead, was actually buried when asleep, and that he will so remain until the coming of Christ, making known meanwhile the fact of his life by the bubbling up of the dust, which is believed to be forced by the breath of the sleeper to ascend from the depths to the surface of the grave, I think it quite superfluous to contend with such an opinion. (laughs) For those may see for themselves who know the locality, whether the ground there does or suffers what is said regarding it, because in truth, we too have heard of it from those who are not altogether unreliable witnesses. Oh dear, do we believe that the righteous sleep in Christ and are resurrected by Christ from the dead. It's not because they weren't truly dead, but that God has raised them from the dead. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll be right back after the break, and after the second break, we'll take your calls, your texts, your emails, call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
please join Father Mark Noonan in praying the Litany of Humility. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, I am she, and we are live um, and we are, uh, today is the feast of St. John the Evangelist, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Book of Revelation, or the Apocalypse. And we've been reading some from um, New Advent, but I've, I've switched now to a very wonderful little comment by St. Augustine on the Epistle of John, The Flesh Revealed Life Itself. And he says this, we announce that what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, and the epistle is First John, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have touched, excuse me, with our own hands. Who could touch the word with his hands unless the word was made flesh and lived among us? Now this word, whose flesh was so real that he could be touched by human hands, began to be flesh in the virgin Mary's womb. But he did not begin to exist at that moment. We know this from what John says, what existed from the beginning. Notice how John's letter bears witness to his gospel, which you just heard a moment ago. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. That's the beginning of beginnings. In other words, 
he always existed. He never began. Whenever, whenever the beginning was, he already there, was there because he's God. Someone might interpret the phrase, the word of life, to mean a word about Christ rather than Christ's body itself, which was touched by human hands. But consider what comes next. And life itself was revealed. Christ, therefore, is himself the word of life. And how was this life revealed? It existed from the beginning, but was not revealed to men, only to angels, who looked upon it and feasted upon it as their own spiritual bread. But what the scriptures say, that mankind ate the bread of angels. You know, I've had friends that say the Eucharist is not God, it's not Christ, because God is not bread. Well, God is not a man either. God is spirit. But in an act of unbelievable love and condensation, yes, condescension, oh my goodness, an unbelievable love of act um, and condescension. He became man. He took on flesh through the Virgin Mary. And in a further act of condescension, he became our food. Life itself was therefore, St. Augustine says, revealed in the flesh. In this way, what was visible to the heart alone could become visible also to the eye and so heal men's hearts. For the word is visible to the heart alone, while flesh is visible to bodily eyes as well. I don't know where I got hiccups, I'm sorry. We already possessed the means to see the flesh, but we had no means of seeing the word. The word was made flesh so that we could see it. To heal the part of us by which we could see the word. And John continues, and we are witnesses, and we proclaim to you, that eternal life, that eternal life, which was with the Father and has been revealed among us, one might say more simply, revealed to us. We proclaim to you, John says, what we have heard and seen. Make sure that you grasp the meaning of these words. The disciples saw our Lord in the flesh, face to face. They heard, these were all Jews, beloved, and they were taught that no one could look on God and live. When, when uh, a pre-incarnate Christ called a theophany uh, truly appeared to Manoah and his wife, Manoah said to his wife when, when he left, we shall see die. We shall die because we have seen God. And yet the disciples saw our Lord in the flesh face to face. They heard the words he spoke, and in turn they proclaimed the message to us. So we also have heard, though we have not seen. Are we then less favored than those who both saw and heard? If that were so, why should John add, so that you too may have fellowship with us? They saw and we have not seen, yet we have fellowship with them, because we and and they share the same faith and our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. And we write this to you, says John, to make your joy complete, complete in that fellowship, in that love, and in that unity. And then a little prayer. Let us pray, O God, 
who through the blessed Apostle John have unlocked for us the secrets of your word, grant, we pray, that we may grasp with proper understanding what he has so marvelously brought to our ear through our Lord. It is the Feast of John the Evangelist today, beloved. More than Peter and Mary Magdalene, John immediately believed when he saw an empty tomb. Can we have his faith to weather the storms in our life? Yes. Do we ponder, pray, and persevere in our times of emptiness, knowing that the Christ who is resurrection saves us? There are four Gospels, beloved, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, are called the Synoptic Gospels. They contain very much of the same information in different ways, written through the personalities and experiences of each uh, disciple, of each apostle. But John is very separate. Um, 90% of John is not in the other Gospels. Um, it is the gospel of the deity of Christ. Um, if you, um, Matthew is the gospel of his uh, messiahship, uh, giving proof to the Jewish people that he is truly the Messiah promised through the whole Old Testament um, from the tribe of Judah and the family of David goes all the way back to Abraham. And Mark presents our Lord as the servant who came not to, to be served, um, but to serve and give his life a ransom. For many, Luke presents our Lord as 100% man and 100% God and traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam to show that he is a son of Adam as we are in the flesh. But John shows that he's divine, that he's truly, truly God. I had a, a Jewish cousin once, and I had become an evangelical at the time. And she said to me, Rosalind, my name before I was Mother Miriam, she said, Rosalind, what if we stand before God? And he says, why did you worship a man and not me? She was frightened. She just gave her life to Christ and, and was plagued by these fears that we might be worshiping a man and not God. And my only response to her was, put every book down, put everything down, open the Gospel of God, John, and read it from beginning to end, 21 chapters. It's not even a quarter of an inch thick. Read the Gospel of John through. That's all. And ask God to show you. She read it through chapter 1 to 21. She put the book down, called me the next day, and said, He's God, and she never doubted again. Especially if you're Jewish. Read the Jewish disciple John, beloved, and learn who your Messiah is. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew. Read Mark. Read Luke. Read, Ma read uh, John. Read them all, and you'll see who your Messiah is. The Christ, he is Jesus. His name is not... Uh, Mr. Christ. It's not his last name. It's his title. He is Jesus the Christ. In Hebrew, Yeshua, the Ha, Christ. Mashiach, in Hebrew, means the anointed one. Um, and that, through the Greek, uh, became a Mashiach. In, in English, was Messiah, translated into the Greek of our Lord's day as Christos, and into English as Christ. Mashiach and Christ are the same word, they are the title of the Son of God, 
who is the son of man as well, means the anointed one, um, uh, the redeemer, the one that God promised through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David all the way to Christ. He is Jesus, which means from Joshua, the Old Testament, Yeshua, it means God saves. God is salvation. Jesus Christ is Jesus, the Redeemer. Uh, Yeshua, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah. He is yours, beloved. If you're Jewish, he came 2,000 years ago. Why didn't he conquer the enemies of the Jews? Why didn't he set up his kingdom? Why isn't there peace on earth? A thousand questions, which I had. I had. They're very legitimate questions because most of the Old Testament speaks of his coming as a reigning king. But he came first to put away sin and set up his kingdom in the hearts of men. He came first as a suffering servant, as a dying lamb. He will return as a reigning king to judge the living and the dead. But he came as a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And someone um, asked, well, why, why a stable? Why a filthy stable for the son of God who comes from royal blood, the family of David through Mary? Why would he? Why would he? be born in a stable instead of a palace with red carpet and a million servants. How come? And the answer came because he's the Lamb of God. Lambs are born in stables, not in palaces. He is the Lamb of Lambs, the Lamb to which all other Old Testament dead lambs pointed. They could save nobody. They were dead. Only the Lamb of God, only his blood suffices for our salvation to pay the price that separates us from God. If you're Catholic and you never were taught your faith, open a book and read it. Open the scriptures. Open the catechism. Ask God to help you to believe because you, if you were born into a Catholic world and baptized, even if you've not been taught, even if you've left the faith, it is your home. He is your God. Come home, little sheep. God is waiting for you to come home, to repent. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been away from the church a hundred years. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you come back to him and he waits for you. He's paid the price. You can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. You'll never be worthy of it. He just wants you to come home with a true repentant heart, just like the prodigal son did. The prodigal son wished his father dead. In Jewish custom, when you ask for your inheritance while your father is still alive, you're wishing him dead. And the father gave it to him. And he went and squandered it on prostitutes and every other foolish thing. And he wound up eating pig's slop. And finally, he didn't even have that. And he went home to his father. And he saw his father waiting, waiting for him, looking for him, and hugged him when he came home. Father, I'm sorry. And some say, well, were you really sorry? We can't judge anyone's heart. But the father slayed the fatted calf and made a feast because... His son was lost and has been found. And that's the story of God the Father that waits for every lost sheep to come home. doesn't matter what you've done because he paid the price for it on the cross. He only wants you to come home and repent and receive forgiveness and all of life. 
would always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church and that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for December 27th. Today we celebrate St. John the Evangelist. Church tradition and many scholars link the fourth gospel to a historical tradition that goes back to John, son of Zebedee, brother of James, and friend of Peter. With them, John seems to have shared a special closeness with Jesus. In the fourth gospel, an unnamed disciple called the disciple whom Jesus loved is often thought to be John. He is the one who, standing at the foot of the cross, was singled out to care for Jesus' grieving mother with the words, Behold your mother. In the other three Gospels, John is present at the transfiguration of Jesus and the agony in the garden. With the other disciples, he saw the risen Lord. The profound theology of the fourth Gospel has led artistic tradition to represent its author with the image of an eagle, symbolizing the heights to which the Gospels' themes lead us. And yet, we get a different view of John, and St. Peter as well in Acts of the Apostles, where both are described as uneducated, ordinary men. It is believed John died at the beginning of the 2nd century. The new Saint of the Day app is available now for your smartphone or tablet. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and we are live and it's the third day of Christmas um, and the Feast of St. John the Evangelist. Um, and by the way, it was, um, let me just see, our Lord that appeared to St. Gertrude, who is a Benedictine, on the Feast of St. John Evangelist and showed her his sacred heart to spread that devotion to the world. And she said, Lord, why didn't you give us that devotion earlier, even in the Gospels? And he said, because there would be a time the world would need it more. So um, it was um, on the Feast of St. John the Evangelist, because he was the beloved who leaned on the Sacred Heart, the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. And I don't know if it was 700 years later, he appeared to St. Margaret Mary with the same devotion to spread the uh, devotion to his sacred heart. We, most of us know about St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. Not too many know about St. Gertrude. And he appeared to them both on today's feast, the feast of St. John the Evangelist, the beloved who leaned on the heart of our Lord. And it's a special joy to our community, my community, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, because we're Benedictine. And we have for our patrons, both St. Benedict, um, founder of 
the Benedictine order and most of Western, father of Western monasticism. And also we have St. Francis de Sales, who founded with St. Jane de Chantal, the uh, Holy uh, Order of Mary, the Visitation, um, uh, the Visitandines, they're called, the, the um, uh, let's see, Holy, oh no, no, I've got their name wrong, um, the Visitation, the Order of the Visitation, um, and we have St. Francis de Sales, and who had appeared to St. Margaret Mary, and she was his daughter, so we have both, and we're very, very happy about it. Um, this is our half hour, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart whatsoever, toll free, one eight seven seven five one one five five four eight three. Uh, let me do that again. One eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have an email from Eileen. <clears throat> Eileen says, "Hi, Mother Miriam. I want to ask your opinion on the series called Chosen." Many Catholics I know, including my priest and deacon, have been telling us to watch this amazing show because it will bring us to a deeper faith. I did start watching it and got to the second episode and looked up who wrote it. Sure enough, I was pretty upset to see the creators were part of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, in other words, Mormons. And the company is Angel Studios, also members of the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, Mormons. Please, can you give me your thoughts on this? I made a decision not to proceed and watch. God bless Eileen. I have not seen it, Eileen. We don't have a TV, so we don't watch it. Um, I've I've been told not to watch The Chosen um, uh, because of some um, poor scenes in it. Uh, some have told me to watch it, others have said do not watch it, so I, I'm staying away from it altogether. But if it's made by Mormons, you know that it's not going to be true. Uh, there are going to be errors in there. Uh, Mormons do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, they believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. Um, and they believe a lot other things and, and perform... Uh, satanic sacrifices at the highest levels it's 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 awful so no if it's made by mormons um i would say definitely do not watch it um we have an email from kevin uh who says there was a youth mass last sunday and the communion hymn was john lennon's imagine oh no I'm so sorry, Kevin. Any advice on how to deal with this situation? I'm getting ready now to write to my priest and ask for a possible meeting. Any advice, Mother? This is like an athletic socialist globalist song. It seems to be calling for a one-world government, a socialist utopia on earth without God. Well, I haven't. I've heard it. I haven't gotten all that out of the song. It, it, the only thing I know about it is, a, is a, from a, a young man who had a conversion um, and gave his life to Christ, I believe, in Protestant fashion. Um, um, and he imagines what heaven is like. So I don't know anything else about the song. I don't know that it's wrong. Uh, if it if it's athletic socialist globalist song, I would say that's beyond anything I've heard from that song. Um, but it does not belong uh, as a communion hymn. It is not a hymn, and it does not belong in church at all. So, uh, Kevin, I agree with you. 
We have an email from Larry who says, Good morning, Mother. I wonder if you can offer some suggestions as to a faith instruction program for our son-in-law of three years. He and our younger daughter married in the church are parents of two young unbaptized children. Oh, dear. Our daughter is a cradle Catholic, but holds some concerns about church teaching, much of which we believe is related to the church's teaching about human sexuality and homosexual acts. Despite her misgivings, she and her fiancé completed marriage prep and were married by her pastor, Uh, by our pastor in our parish church with a profession that the children would be raised in the faith. All that said, there has been no formal movement slash interest by our son-in-law toward RCIA or any informal inquiry into Catholicism or Judeo-Christian history. They should never have been married in the church. They should never have been married in the church. Not really knowing what his early life faith experience was, We've loved him and welcomed him in every way, displaying our Catholic faith openly in all facts of our life, hoping our daughter would invite and encourage him to grow in this area. But your daughter is very weak, doesn't believe either. If you have misgivings about church's teachings on human sexuality and homosexuality, you're not Catholic. You don't believe what the Catholic Church teaches. He writes, this past Friday, though, our awareness of his lack of formal faith exposure became very vivid. Shame on the pastor who married them. We display a small replica of Michelangelo's Pieta in our living room, that being of one of many Catholic Christian images throughout our home. As he and our daughter were preparing to leave after a visit, he happened to look at this image and off the cuff said something like, wow, this guy's in pretty bad shape. What happened to him? He was not attempting to be comedic. He had no idea. I hope that's the case. He had no idea. I hope. A brief moment with an embarrassing chuckle from his wife followed, which led to our wife and my thoughts later that evening that this young man, who had a horrible relationship growing up with his now-deceased father, as our daughter has previously explained, is more ignorant than we realized in terms of his exposure to Christianity or the philosophies of the major world religions. So our question for you is, if we were to lovingly offer an invitation to him or suggest it to our daughter to consider some program, reading material, video series, or other medium or path to help him with building his basic understanding of theology and philosophy, religion, Christianity, Catholicism, etc., what are some options or approaches that you believe might work well in this circumstance. His professional expertise is in IT and software development, so he is very immersed in the tech side of things, and both he and our daughter have been living their marriage slash family life thus far in the fast-paced culture of materialism. At the same time, being a young father of a two-year-old and a 12-week-old, His head must be spinning in matters relating to the human experience and the whys of our existence. Thank you so much for your thoughts as to the above and for your apostolate, your charism of hope, 
and your programming and media, which have been so beneficial to me personally during and since my reversion to Catholic Answers way back in the day. Grace and peace to you, Mother Larry. Larry, your your son-in-law is not Catholic, and your daughter might be barely, barely Catholic, and she does know, not know her faith, and her faith is extraordinarily weak, and those children are in trouble um, because they're not baptized and not being raised in the faith. The first thing I would do is come together with your daughter and son-in-law and say, you know, I know, I, we assume you have no knowledge of this and no uh, uh, poor intention, but you did marry in the Catholic Church, which you said yes to a great number of beliefs that you either don't believe or that you remain ignorant of. And you promised to raise your children Catholic, which means the first step is to baptize them right out of the womb. And so now you have a two-year-old and a a 12-week-old, both unbaptized. And they come into the world, as you did, separated from God. You don't want them to leave the world that way without becoming his children through baptism. You must have them baptized, both of them, immediately. Not in two months, but right away. Speak to your pastor and arrange for both to be baptized. Um, And then I would say go through RCIA as a couple. Um, Go through RCIA and with a, in a good church, with good holy people teaching or ask your priest I don't know who your priest is. If he's the priest who married you, he's probably not the one to teach you the faith. Um, it, I'm just going to say this. If you could find a Latin parish and begin to go and ask that priest to teach you the faith, that probably would be fantastic and ideal. Or get a, a very good, solid, holy couple, married couple, and ask them to teach you and to guide you in the raising of your children. Um, as far as your learning uh, catechism and the faith, there's a wonderful online program uh, through Voice of the Family. Um, and it is, um, let me get it, it's by, taught by Father Polari, a fantastic, wonderful priest. Um, and let's see, uh, it is Our Lady of the Rosary Family Catechism online. Our Lady of the Rosary Family Catechism. On the computer, Father Polari teaches, I think they're in 30-minute segments, very, very simply, 100% true and holy. You can trust what he says, and you can learn from him. And it's online. Our Lady of the Rosary Family Catechism. If you wish to go to books, I would I would rec- refer you to... Um, the Angelus Press, to uh, St. Augustine Academy, um, to Mother of Our Savior, or Refuge for Sinners, uh, very good, solid Catholic books. Um, and um, But again, that Family Rosary Online uh, might be um, 
truly wonderful voice of the family is an outstanding apostolate. You could, anybody, look them up online. Um, Our Lady of the Rosary Family Catechism is brought to you, I'm reading now from their website, by the voice of the family, formed to promote Catholic teaching on the family. The following truths are particularly at the heart of the voice of the family's work. Marriage, the exclusive lifelong union of one man and one woman, is the foundation of a stable, flourishing society and is the greatest protective of children born and unborn. Secondly, the procreative and unitive ends of marriage cannot licitly be separated. The rejection of this truth lies at the root of modern attacks on life and family. And finally, parents are the primary educators of their children and the protection of this right is essential for building a new culture of life. Families, parents, do not change, hand your children over to the world because you are turning your back on God and forfeiting your vocation. We'll be right back after the break to take your calls, your texts, and your emails. God bless you. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard it said that the church has been weak and ineffective? Well, G.K. Chesterton says the church has been so powerful and effective that it colored even the things it had not hoped to influence and changed its enemies as well as its friends. It affects everything it touches. It inspires a life-changing love from its friends and a self-destructive hatred from its enemies. Its enemies will do everything to destroy it, and they end up destroying everything except the church. The Catholic Church, says Chesterton, has endured for 2,000 years, and the world within the church has been more lucid, more level-headed, more reasonable in its hopes, more healthy in its instincts, more humorous and cheerful in the face of fate and death than all the world outside. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Merry, merry, merry Christmas. This is the third day of Christmas, Feast of St. John the Evangelist. Um, 
We're thrilled to be with you. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes. Still time for you to call in if you wish. Toll free, one 511 5483 You may text at that number for another few weeks and um, uh, email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from Benjamin. <clears throat> Benjamin writes, Mother, thank you for all you do and for the wonderful advice you have provided through your show. It has helped my wife and I live our Catholic faith better. Well, thanks be to God, Benjamin. My question has to do with how we should handle family events with my niece, who claims to be a lesbian. Her mother, my sister, fell away from the Catholic Church years ago. They were raised as Protestants, but my niece was baptized Catholic before they left the church. Today, my niece brings her girlfriend, quote-unquote, to family events all the time. Nobody in my family has really spoken up about it. We do not host any of the family events, so we feel like we don't really have much to say in who attends. You may not have much to say in who attends, but if she's your niece, you must speak to her about her lifestyle. You cannot be silent. If your sister or parents accept it, That's tragic, but you must not. You must at least speak. She's an adult, and you must speak to her or you're no fitting uncle. You must call her aside and speak to her about the faith and God's judgment on homosexuality as an intrinsic disorder and that those who practice homosexuality will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so she claims to love her girlfriend, but it's no love when you live a lifestyle that is putting you and the one you claim to love on the road to hell. You must speak to her. That's number one. He says, however, my question is, should we be attending these events with an outwardly gay couple at them? Well, I think it's good for you to attend, but you, but to attend without speaking with her is... Um, is actually an out, act of hatred for her, not caring about her soul whatsoever. You need to speak with her. And he writes, it's Benjamin. Did I say, I don't remember if I said Kevin, but Benjamin, for a little while longer, he writes, it will be my wife and I, but we are expecting our first baby in just a few months after the holidays this year. We have already talked about avoiding these events when our child is a bit older, as we don't want to expose our children to homosexual relationships at all. But how do we handle this as Catholic adults, and how do we handle this with a young baby slash child? God bless you, Benjamin. Benjamin, when your child is... um, yeah, two years old and older, um, you do not bring your child into a homosexual uh, environment. Excuse me. But until then, you must talk to your niece. I think you should go because you have the opportunity to save her, to save her soul and the soul of her so-called friend. Um, Go, but don't remain silent because that is hatred for her soul. It's selfish. Don't worry about what she thinks of you. Don't worry about what your sister thinks of you. Your sister should be thinking the same. Your sister may love you for saving her soul if you speak the truth and God uses that. You must not remain silent. Speak with her privately. 
but speak with her very clearly. We have an email from Lourdes. Lourdes writes, Good morning, Mother Miriam. I used to listen to your show on Relevant Radio a while back. I was sad when you stopped coming on the air. That wasn't my choice, Lourdes. <laughs> I did not know where you had gone to, but by a miracle, thanks to God, I found you again. I enjoyed the advice you give us over the radio. You are very special to us. Thank you, Mother Miriam. Well, thank you, Lourdes. She writes, this is my story. I have three siblings that left the church. <clears throat> they were married in the Catholic Church and later divorced before they left and became Protestants. Oh, my goodness, all three. As Protestants, one was married twice and the other one three times. My goodness, Protestantism, uh, true Protestantism doesn't agree with that either. I do not know if they were civilly married or if they were married in a Protestant church. They divorced their husbands and are now single. This is my question. Mother, are they in danger of going to hell? Yes. Even if they did not know the Catholic faith and left it out of ignorance and think it is okay to remarry somebody else. Protestantism doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. We don't know their degree of ignorance. Um... And when they left the Catholic Church and what they know the Catholic Church teaches, all these are factors. By the way, their spouses were still alive when they were married in the Catholic Church. I have heard at least two priests say that if you leave the Catholic Church out of ignorance and do not know the faith, you will not be in danger of going to hell because you did not know it was a mortal sin. If you did not know it, it's not a mortal sin, but it's a very grave sin. Um, thank you for your advice. God bless you, Lourdes. Lourdes, I cannot know the state of your siblings. I absolutely cannot. Um, God has given them a conscience to know right from wrong. If they grew up Protestant, if they left the church and they are Protestant, um, they, um, uh, they were married. Here you have three siblings married in the Catholic church. So they all know that the church that marriage is forever. They had to agree to the church's teaching, whether they truly believed it or not. They had to know the church's teaching to marry the church. They had to agree to it. They had to know that the church does not um, um, tolerate divorce. Absolutely not. And so uh, if they read the scriptures, they would also see that the scriptures do not tolerate divorce either. And so... Um, they became Protestants and married uh, several times and divorced. And now they're three are single. My guess would be, no one knows the state of their soul. Uh, they probably have a degree of ignorance, but only God knows that degree. Uh, I don't think they're excused morally because they were Catholic. And if they, again, became Protestant, they have a degree of responsibility uh, from the Word of God and from whatever their denomination uh, taught. So I would speak to them and I, individually and say, you, you're in danger of hell. You're in danger of hell. I don't know what you believe, what you knew, but you've turned from God. You left the church. You married and remarried without um, understanding, read, um, Romans chapter 7 only if your spouse is deceased are you free to marry again otherwise you're still married and you cannot remarry 
um, tell them the truth. They may not believe it. They said, well, I'm not Catholic anymore, and I don't believe it. Well, you may not be Catholic anymore, but you were at the time you married in the church. And if it was a true marriage, you're still married, and you've been committing adultery with other people. And you must repent and come back to God if you are to see heaven. You need to tell them that, Lourdes. We have a, um, an email from Michael. Dear Mother Miriam, there, there are a number of Catholic Bibles, such as New American, New American Revised, Good News Translation, Revised Standard Version, New Revised Standard Is there one or more preferred over others and why? Peace to you and keep up the good work, Michael. There's the music for our, the end of our program, Michael. I prefer and use the new revised stand, not the new, forget the word new. Don't buy something that says new. The revised standard version, R, um, R-V-S-C-E, revised R-S-V-C-E, Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, R-S-V-C-E, Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition. It does not have inclusive language. It is a very literal translation and a beautiful translation. God bless all of you. God willing, dear ones, we will be with you tomorrow. Merry Christmas.